Well, happy Halloween and welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real estate is an awesome tool, but you'll never believe this. Sometimes things go wrong. And today, it's our annual edition of Halloween Horror Stories, right here on the Real Estate Guys radio network. Most people think of life insurance as a death benefit, a big payout to the beneficiary when the insured dies. Some people think of life insurance as a savings vehicle, though it arguably isn't a very good one. But how many people think of life insurance as a cash management tool? Now that's a new paradigm. So before you think you already understand life insurance, call the professionals at Paradigm Life. They have educational resources to help you discover the living benefits of life insurance as a powerful cash management tool. Discover how to finance your own interests and essentially be your own bank. For a free report, visit beyourbank.com or call 888 510-6838 extension 116 that's 888-510-6838 extension 116 or visit beyourbank.com this podcast is brought to you by audible.com the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature including fiction nonfiction, and periodicals for a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning into the show. This week, our show is super scary. First, speaking of scary, let's meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. And uh, the man we call the godfather of real estate, been investing in seven different decades, Bob Helms. Robert, Russ, great to be here with you guys. It is always fun to do Halloween horror stories. If you haven't heard this before, every October, as close as we can to our Halloween show, we have our all the ugliness of real estate combined into one program. You know, so many people are talking about how real estate's a great investment. It's on sale. It's a great time to buy. Great returns, solid backed returns, and hard assets. And we love that. We love real estate. We love leverage. Love markets. Love equity growth. Love cash flow. But every now and then, real estate has problems. And we like to do case studies to look at what happened in an investment with a market or or an investor and how they got started or a property and once a year, we decide we're going to delve into the ugliness and do Halloween horror stories, which are case studies about problems. May it have been the problem with the property or the operator or a tenant or there's lots of different problems. And it's not just so we can say, oh, isn't that terrible? It's so we can figure out what went wrong and why. And so there's three parts to every Halloween horror story. There's a problem, there's a solution or potential solutions, and there's a lesson. Yeah. And uh, somebody paid full price for that lesson. It was very painful and uh, expensive and distressing. And you get to get it for a bargain. You know, I mean, one of the great things about talking to older people or more experienced people in anything is that they've seen it, they've done it, they've been through it. And when you're out there building your real estate portfolio, you're investing because you want to get those rent checks. I want those checks coming in. But you know what? Along with those rent checks, every once in a while, you're going to open up the envelope and there's going to be a reality check. Yeah, there <laughs> sure is. Well, speaking of guys who have been around investing for a long time, you know, Bob Helms, you've not seen uh, any really problems in real estate, have you? No serious ones. Sometimes we have uh, some Halloween hiccups. There you go. They could be real serious hiccups. The beauty of this thing and this show, of course, is that we get to live those experiences vicariously. We don't have to be there. We don't have to do it. But if we pay attention, 
we can get the lessons. You can certainly learn from your own mistakes, but you can learn a ton from other people's as well. And what you're going to hear today aren't necessarily mistakes. Some are. Some are absolutely missteps that were taken and then the consequences. But sometimes stuff just happens. Real estate has hair on it. Real estate is not surgical. Real estate is messy. Right? Stuff happens you're dealing with people and where they live and, and where they go to work and where they resort and all that stuff. And it just because stuff happens, you know, sometimes it gets on you. And so there's a lot of real estate horror stories where there may not be a redeeming lesson. What we're going to try to focus on today is stuff that will teach us. And as we do this, we do this every year in our mentoring club in October. The whole night is devoted to Halloween horror stories. And it is absolutely amazing how much you can learn. You know, it's interesting, Robert. We uh, just did a, uh, our mentoring club and we talked a little bit about some of this. And one of the guests there, a couple of the gals there had big, long, extensive histories in property management, and they came up afterwards and they go, I really, really enjoyed this. <laughs> and they talked about it being therapeutic, you know, and that's, we, we used to joke about that. We'd come do the presentation as kind of group therapy and all that. But, you know, the reality is it's very interesting that people who are highly experienced, that have lots of miles on them, if you will, in the real estate investing game, really, really enjoy the Halloween horror stories, even probably more so than the new people. Well, and we should give a disclaimer here. If you're brand new to real estate investing, in fact, maybe this is the first real estate podcast uh, from the real estate guys that you've heard, stop right now, go back and hear a few other shows, right? <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago, we had Robert Kiyosaki on there. That'd be a good one. Last week, we had G. Edward Griffin. That's kind of a scary show too, right, in its own way. Uh, but, but go back and hear some other shows. This really is not for the faint of heart. And it's not because it's going to be that horribly terrible, although a lot of bad stuff has happened in to, to the people in the in these case studies but it's because it may be too soon for you to hear the negative we're not trying to scare anybody away from investing what we're trying to do is show you that there are lessons to be learned i think one of the most important things that i learned as a young guy uh, my uncle took me under his wing and taught me sales he took me out in the field and i was just a very insecure young kid and one of the things he used to say to me that was so encouraging when i'd screw up he would go that's just part of being young and I went from thinking there's something wrong with me, which is a, a self-image issue, to realizing this is normal and part of a natural process of learning. And a lot of times people in the real estate teaching game, they, they only give you one side of the story. They hype you up. They tell you that it's easy. And if you buy my secret book or program or take my boot camp or buy from my team or whatever it is, then it's just going to be smooth sailing. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. And that's just not the way it is no and people who are experienced totally get that and it is therapeutic and hopefully in advance you know if you're brand new and you've never invested in anything this isn't clearly not designed to uh to scare you away and if you've just gotten started and maybe you've started to have a few hiccups hopefully you're going to feel good and go hey maybe there's nothing wrong with me and this is just part of the process right it's just a normal part of being a real estate investor and and when you have that then you listen to it and go, okay now when I begin to see some of the things that you're gonna hear about in a moment coming I'm gonna maybe have a better idea about how to react and and and, and mitigate my loss or my expense uh, and hassle factor and then the big thing is just not lose that edge that that ambitious optimistic edge that you gotta have when you're an investor or an entrepreneur the key here is that we're all investors. We're all high on real estate at all times. There are some, some things that work better sometimes than others, but we're not on this week and off next week. We're absolutely positive about it. However, I think the key word is reality. Even if you are a first-time listener who's just getting enamored with it, don't be afraid. This is about getting the lessons. And you know what? You just can't learn too much. You never can have too good an education or know too much about a subject. Don't let it spook you. Don't be afraid to try it. 
what this is all about is saying there are lessons here that if I learn and get them under my belt, this gets much easier as time goes on. This is our ninth year of Halloween Horror Stories. You guys probably remember when we started, it was all our own stuff. It was, I mean, we, we manufactured all, every case study was one of us in our group and the mistakes we made. Thankfully today, I don't know if it's that we're make, making less mistakes necessarily, but I think uh, we're getting lots of input from investors in our circles and it's great. So a lot of great contribution today. So without further ado, here are our Halloween horror stories for 2011. The first one is called The Incredible Shrinking Loan. The down payment wouldn't stop growing. So we have a couple that decides they want to buy an investment property. They've got a couple of single-family houses, and they make the big leap into multifamily purchase a 15-unit apartment building, and they sit down with a lender, as you certainly should, and the lender pre-qualifies them. Now, you don't really get pre-qualified for a commercial building without the building. The building's a big part. So the pre-qualification uh, also includes performing an initial analysis of the building and the rent roll. So the lender is given the information about the building, its size, square footage, pictures, location, and the rent roll, the current leases, how much are they for, how long have they been there, all that information, along with the financials on this couple. The lender represents to the broker involved, this is the broker representing the buyer, that the LTV, that the loan looks good and the LTV will be 65%. They're going to need to bring 35% down. Okay, well, that's probably in keeping with what you might expect in a 15-unit apartment building. It's not a 300-unit apartment building, but it's not a fourplex. Okay, so the broker, based on that, writes an offer at 35% down. His his buyer, the lender's borrower, is going to put 35% down of the purchase price and get a loan for 65%. Great. So the seller accepts that offer, relying partially on a letter that comes from the lender. The broker had a good practice to send a letter that said, on the lender's letterhead, we've reviewed this, we've seen the building, and we looked at the rent roll and we believe we can make a 65% loan-to-value loan. All right, so after a third-party inspection gets done, there's an inspection that's ordered, so it's not the lender's inspection. This is a third-party property inspector goes through all the units, and et cetera. The lender gets a copy of that. They review it, and, and now they come back and they say, well, based on this inspection, there's a few things we're not wild about. We're, gonna, uh, we're still going to do the loan, but we want you to increase your down payment to 40%. We'll do 60% LTV. Now, I don't know the specifics of what the things they, they found, but all the other terms would remain the same in terms of the timeline, the amortization schedule, interest rate, et cetera. A week prior to close, the lender informs the buyer that a review appraisal will be necessary. Now, this is not uncommon, especially as values are changing, that there's an appraisal done on the property as part of the process, and then somebody upstairs decides that the lender decides that they better order a second opinion, a review appraisal. Now, maybe, Bob, you can speak about the difference between a review appraisal and a, to your standard original appraisal. Yeah, the, the second guy, the second appraiser who comes in is absolutely aware of what the first one is, but his job is not to substantiate it. It's to bring in an independent appraisal or opinion of value. So he goes through and looks at all the things he sees as though he were doing the appraisal to start with. When he brings that in, the lender's point is they're looking for insurance. They're looking for that comfortable feeling that this is going to work and I need to have another appraisal that looks adequate, if not as good as the first one. Okay, so it's a week before COE. So you can imagine that getting an appraiser out there might be challenging. So the broker proactively asks the seller for an extension based on the review uh, appraisal and the seller grants it through their broker. Okay, well, yeah, that's reasonable, right? I can understand, just like we just talked about. Sometimes the lender wants to review appraisal. It's their right. That's fine. Gives them the uh, extension. The review appraisal comes in at the value. 
So good news. The lender calls up and says, hey, got the review appraisal and confirmed the value. Everything looks good. The lender then informs the buyer that uh, even though the appraisal is satisfactory, they'll now need to put 45% down. It'll now be a 55% loan, another 5%. And the buyer's like, well, well, why? And this is where it gets interesting because the lender doesn't have an answer for why. Now, when I say lender in this case, I'm talking about the person who is representing the big company, right? So the person they're dealing with says, well, you know, this is just what's come back kind of thing. The buyer reluctantly agrees. They're thinking, well, we've come this far. It's just another 5%. We'll do it. They agree. They set a uh, sign-off date. There's loan documents are drawn, and the loan documents are drawn for 50% LTV. Now the buyer's upset. The first time they see that the lender's gone from 35 to 40 to 45 to 50% down is at the sign-off for the loan documents. The lender cannot explain, but urges the buyer to close, quote-unquote, since we've all made it this far. Now, noting the buyer's distress, the broker, who's kept his mouth shut uh, up until now, at a key moment during a break from this uh, this event, says, um, you know, we might call somebody else. I mean, I have a lender that I've done a lot of work with, and, you know, it's late in the game, and it's really up to you. I'm not trying to, you know, step on toes. Apparently what happened is this buyer brought their own lender in to the broker as opposed to going to the broker who specializes in these kind of investments and says, hey, who would you recommend? So that's fine. Uh, they, uh, they agree, and within 10 days, the new lender closes it. And they close it at the same interest rate, 60% LTV. So what are the lessons here? Well, the first of the problem, obviously, is that the lender keeps requiring more and more down payment and uh, leverage is slowly deteriorating. The solution is to bring in a new lender at the last minute, which I don't know would necessarily be the first solution, but I guess the first solution was to try to figure out, well, why, why, why? It wouldn't get anywhere. Finally, they reluctantly bring in a second lender who closes it. So I think the lesson is to choose your team wisely. You know, you off, we always say start with the lender, but if you're getting better response from your broker in that space, maybe just, you know, double check. I don't like just changing horses arbitrarily, but at some point, and then know when it is time to change. Uh, as far as the broker, some lessons, I think under-promise and over-deliver. Be proactive when a deal starts to go sideways. This lender probably could have found a solution instead of just, oh, come on, let's just put another 5% in. And remember, lenders, you're not the only game in town. It's Halloween Horror Stories today on The Real Estate Guys. we got lots more when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of The Real Estate Guys, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Here's a fun audiobook, The 4-Hour Workweek, Escape 9 to 5, Live Anywhere and Join the New Rich by Timothy Ferris. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. 
Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. It's our Halloween edition, Halloween Horror Stories, investor case studies of things that went bump in the night, and we got a bunch of them today, and hopefully you're going to get some lessons. Our next Halloween Horror Story is called Lots of Terror, and we're talking about actual lots in this case. Here's the scenario. A developer purchases 800 acres on the beach to develop an amazing, huge, beautiful development with some lots and some single family and some condominiums and a beautiful beach club. And it's beautiful, 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 right on the ocean in a beautiful country that will remain unnamed. Uh, they have a very impressive site plan that's drawn, including a golf course by a celebrity designer, a golfer whose name you would instantly know who designed their course. And that's important because you don't get that for free. So they spent considerable amount of money just to get that name on the course, had the pictures with him there, doing the whole thing, right? They created first-class sales collateral, looked great, and an awesome website where you could track where the units were and, and the views and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they were uh, selling lots to start with. The first thing they sold were just individual housing lots. It was up to you to contract with one of the three approved builders to build your home. Or you could build it yourself, but as many developers do, they wanted it to be built within a certain time frame. So you don't just buy the lot and speculate on it. It's going to be a house, and I think it was pretty easy. It was like a, a two-year time frame. Within two years of the time that you bought it, you had to uh, had to build. Here's the terms of the deal. 20% deposit. So 20% of the lot price deposit that gets released to the seller, the developer, upon execution. Okay, go, wait a minute, what does that mean? That means that you're going to give them the 20%. You're going to release it. Why? Well, so they can complete the site work and do everything necessary to deliver it to you. Okay. Then a second 20% is due approximately six months later. So six months after you sign, you pay the second 20%. Now you have 40% in. The final 60% due at close. Supposedly, there was a couple of lenders who might be interested in giving you a loan on a built home so you could arrange 60% financing on acquiring the lot in the home, but the, this particular buyer uh, was going to buy it for cash. Um, after selling the first phase of 35 lots, the developer begins selling pre-construction condominiums. So the lot sales went well. They sold at the first phase. Now they're selling condominiums. And they got the renderings and so forth. And the same terms, 20% deposit, 20% in six months, 60% at close. The developer is once a month hosting these three-day fly-and-bys, these big events where everybody comes in and they do the dinner and they take you out to see the property and they fly up in the helicopter and you go out on the boat, all the stuff that you're doing. And the speakers at these events are great. Not only do you have the developer, you get to hear from personally, you get to hear from someone who represents the golf course designer, not the celebrity name, but somebody that works for him. I can tell you it's a him. Uh, you hear from a local attorney, and you also hear from a title insurance uh, company who's going to provide an American title insurance company that's going to provide title insurance on these uh, projects. Great. So several of the current owners of these lots and the pre-construction condos are also present at these events. So some of them are just there to see how it's going. You know, they bought a year ago. Some of them are buying additional property and uh, great testimonials. So that all feels pretty good. We get an investor who the case study is uh, from who uh, is very interested in this, loves the idea, gets the thing, and, and thinks this is great. Talked to several people who have lots in the in development and decides to move ahead uh, with one of these uh, purchases and uh, does what you probably should do. Uh, has the paperwork, which all looks very, very professional, big stack of paperwork and full-color folder, the whole thing, uh, reviewed uh, by the attorney. The attorney notices just a tiny little thing in small print. Here's what it says in the contract. Uh, title will transfer to buyer upon settlement. Buyer agrees to grant blank, the developer, 
a contract extension of up to 180 days in the case that title cannot be transferred prior to settlement. That was the entire sentence. So most people would read that and go, all right, well, yeah, if they can't do the title right away, give them, you know, six months. The attorney says, well, if I were you, I would inquire as to why there would be any reason for there to be a delay. And uh, the developer takes the call, or, or somebody representing the developer takes the call, uh, and the buyer says, I'm just wondering about, you know, this title, and, you know, I'm ready, I love the place, ready to go, came down there for the weekend, just had this little, one little issue, you know, number 27 here in the contract says this, and and uh, the person who's on the phone, in the words of, of the person this happened to, continues to talk in a circle, doesn't really have an answer, just, well, you know, you never know how things are going to go, and if we need the extra time, and you, know, you might not be ready to close, and all this stuff, and it doesn't ever seem to get figured out, well, this gets back to the attorney during his little poking around. Now the attorney makes a call. Upon closer examination, it's revealed that all 800 lots are on a single parcel. There are no individual lots. There is no lot subdivision. There are no individual parcel numbers. Now, that's very common when you start a development project, that you have a preliminary map, right? We have a project right now with a preliminary map. We don't have individual titles, so guess what we're not doing? Selling anything to anybody, right? <laughs> These folks had sold a lot of lots with 20% down that was released upon contract to the developer. Now, what did the developer do with that money? He didn't run off to Switzerland. He started doing the work in the roads and grooming the beach and doing the work necessary. So nothing wrong with that. The big thing here that there's the glaring Halloween horror story in it is at the moment... The developer does not have the ability to transfer title. He doesn't have the capacity because he doesn't own it separately. He owns the one piece. And that really is a nightmare because that can just go on and on and on. And what you've really got, if you've got people who have put money into it, these guys all now have some oddball form of group ownership. Right. But it's undefined. It is. Oh, my goodness. That's ugly. So the solution? Don't walk away run away from this deal. <laughs> it's just too many risks. And, and the real the real thing, the talking in circles part, is they, could, they had no reasonable explanation as to, oh, you know, we have a, a preliminary map. Right? I mean, we have answers to this when we are developers. We say, oh, well, here's our preliminary map, and, you know, it's subject to this and subject to that. Of course, your money wouldn't be released. Typically, in the United States, you're not going to release money to a developer. This was not a U.S. deal. Uh, but you might. I mean, sometimes that, that, that happens. There's reasons for it. And I think in this case, I mean, I just did a little research on this project. Pretty impressive project. I don't think that the developer had any ill will in this thing. I think they just got the, the cart before the horse. They got excited and tried to sell something before they had it, and... Chances are, I don't know this part of it, but chances are in the country this is in, it was probably not against the law to do that. Well, somebody just missed a step, but it was a key step. Now, you said there was a U.S. title company that was offering title insurance here. So those guys were going to have the burden of delivering this. And oh, that's a good part of the story. Let's, let's yeah. go down there. So this is, a, <laughs> this is a gal. That's actually how I learned about this particular deal because the person with the title company, a very high-ranking person with a very well-known title company, told this story. And so it got down to where, as she's recounting the story to us, she says, well, we had issued a certificate of title insurance on the 800 acres. And what you typically do as a developer is you'll hire a title company to give you that assurance with the ability to then break those out in individual lots and provide title insurance to the buyers. So we stood ready when the subdivision was complete to offer title insurance. So there they are. They're, they're very smart. They have her present at this event to talk about her insurance company. 
Now, she's never once said, oh, yeah, these lots are insurable or there's clean title. She's never said any of that. She's just talking in general about how, why do American title companies issue title insurance in other countries and what does that process look like? All educational, great stuff. But at the end of the day, they, they had a policy in place on the 800 acres and a developer's policy that would allow them then to provide individual policies if so desired by Owners. Now, when you look at international property where they do this, it comes at a quite heavy fee. You're going to pay a lot more than you would in, say, a similar transaction dollar-wise in the U.S. because they're working through local attorneys and so forth. But still, it may be that you wanted title insurance, and they have title insurance available. Oh, I think you desperately want title insurance if you have those kind of issues coming up. And even though, like you say, they were totally prepared, the whole thing I'm thinking about is, what is my relationship with all those other people on our 20% and where are we in? Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, because the person who's in this position is a person who came and met a lot of those people. And so they're just the nicest, sweetest people, and they all just really love this development. And I don't think any one of them read the contract. Well, here's the lesson. The big lesson in this to me is make sure you read everything you sign. Review the documents personally, and then... Send them to the attorney to review them as well. Right, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's why you have a team and, you know, you want to have as many experienced eyeballs, especially when you're releasing money, uh, you know, hard, I mean, in advance. And then, the other, I mean, does it make sense to examine the title before you actually release the money? Oh, forget those details, <laughs> Ross. What are you talking about? Just to make However, sure. I think this is one more example where having an attorney review your documents before you close, you've made an agreement, it looks good, the buyer and seller are in agreement, have your attorney look at it. Why? Because he may find this little thing that says, what's that 180 days about? Well, and, and I mean, you got to really put yourself in this position. You've been flown down to this place. It's amazing. It's top notch. The materials are solid. They put the A team in front of you in terms of the people that are talking. You've got all kinds of people. That, I mean, you get caught up in it. The collateral is full color, beautiful, great photography. Here's the name of a very famous golfer who designs golf courses. And there he is on the land with the developer in a picture, right? That's part of the arrangement when you have them design your your course. I mean, so you're you're not thinking, oh yeah, this is some fly-by-night deal. So I could see how a person might just get caught up in that and go, well, it's got to be legitimate. No, well, especially with a title company. I mean, a big, big American, big household name title company in the room. I mean, that's all. There's a lot of things that are implied. Right. But when you're going to release money and, you know, you got to examine title. That's like buying a car and somebody not having the pink slip. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. Right. Or last year's Halloween Horror Story, we had a guy who rented a house <laughs> and then sold the house 30 times over two weekends to people with a sob story about he just needed a $2,000 down to deposit. So uh, anyway, there's our. Uh, second uh, Halloween horror story. When we come back, uh, we're going to do one more, and this one's uh, we're going to let Bob do. He's got a uh, w interesting Halloween horror story uh, in the works about someone who wanted to sell their house, and uh, among other things, they found a very creative way to uh, save the commission, if you will, and get on to their next uh, ha home sooner. So all that on the surface sounds like a good idea. We'll find out uh, what happened uh, next when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It's Halloween Horror Stories. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hi, this is Kim Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Woman, and you are listening to the Real Estate Guys. Are you ready to take your real estate investing to a whole new level? 
Imagine spending an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Join the Real Estate Guys for the 10th Annual Investor Summit. It's part education, part inspiration, part transformation, and a whole lot of fun. And it takes place in four different countries. Returning this year are Rich Dad Advisors Ken McElroy and Wayne Palmer, international developer Beth Clifford, attorney Mauricio Rauld, and the godfather of real estate, Bob Helms. Plus, joining us for the first time, Robert and Ken Kiyosaki, live and in person. It all begins March 30th, 2012 in Orlando. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click on the tab that says Summit to learn more. The Investor Summit always sells out, so reserve your spot today. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit or call 888-GUYSRADIO to talk with our Summit Specialist. That's 888-489-7723. 888-GUYSRADIO. Spend a week with the Real Estate Guys, the Kiyosakis, and an all-star faculty on the 10th Annual Investor Summit. This is Gary Johnson, candidate for President of the United States, and I'm here to say, listen to the Real Estate Guys. Happy Halloween. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. It's Halloween Horror Stories. This is something we do every year around this time of year, is to uh, do some case studies of things that went wrong. Before we get back to Halloween Horror Stories, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. In just a minute, I'm going to give you the question or the answer. No, not the answer, just the question. And you're going to go over the answer. And as soon as you think you know it, get us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That's trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And Include your name and mailing address so that if you're the winner, we can send you an autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing, if you know the trivia question. Last week on The Real Estate Guys, we uh, were kind of getting geared up for Halloween with our show about the creature from Jekyll Island and the author of that great book, uh, G. Edward Griffin, was with us. Here's our trivia question. Of the 13 original colonies, which was the first to declare its independence from Mother England? The answer... Lots of people knew this. New Hampshire. New Hampshire was uh, the first, and they were a full six months before the Declaration of Independence was signed. Here is our Halloween real estate trivia question. What U.S. state produces the most pumpkins? Yeah, which state in the United States produces the most pumpkins? And I'll give you a hint. There is one state that produces more than 75% of all of the U.S. crop intended for processing, okay? So which state in the U.S. produces the most pumpkins? If you know or want to take a guess, quickly send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That's trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and a mailing address. And if you're the winner, then we'll send you an autographed copy of Equity Happens. One copy goes to the first person with the right answer. Then we'll take all the correct guesses, and there's probably going to be a lot of them this week, and uh, have a drawing for another book. And that way, even if you're not the first person to win, if you're, say, listening on the podcast or on our website, you still have a chance to win as long as you get your answer to us before next week. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking about Halloween horror stories, and this is a chance to learn from people's mistakes. Our next one comes to us courtesy of the Godfather. It's called Beware the Very Friendly Agent. So why Beware the Very Friendly Agent? Well, this agent is maybe a little too friendly. Seems to be very, very knowledgeable. Let's talk about the scenario. We have an elderly couple. Elderly means what? Means they're seniors. And they're living up in a beautiful property in the mountains. 
but they both are having health problems, and they're going to have to move back down to the flatlands. He has emphysema, way too difficult for him to get along at an elevate, at elevation where the air is thinner. Yep. So they decide that they're going to sell their property, and they've got a, a friendly real estate agent they've been talking to for quite some time. So they decide to approach the agent and talk about putting the property on the market. And an interesting thing happens. The agent said, well, you know, I may have a great solution for you. Turns out I'm renting a property. My lease is up. I could be the buyer of your property if you were willing to carry back a loan. Could you do that? So they get in a discussion, come to an agreement and say, you know, this could work for everybody. So it seems like it's a perfect deal for them. So why isn't it a perfect deal? What happens? Let's talk about what they do. The agent writes a contract. They all sign it. She opens escrow. They're ready to move ahead. And on the way to the farm, there was one little thing that had to happen. She needed to get in that property very quickly. So the sellers really work hard to get all their stuff out, clear the property, and go out and start looking for property. So they vacate the property. And a funny thing happens. They don't exactly give this buyer, who is an agent, if you remember, they don't give this buyer the keys to the property but they tell her where the spare keys are if she needs to let her son go and go to the bathroom. Well, that's all she needed for possession as far as she was concerned. So here's an agent who writes the contract interestingly, not too well, by the way, but she writes it with herself as the buyer, as an LLC of which she is an officer. So she's not buying it as an individual. Therefore, she thinks it's not necessary that she disclose to the sellers that she is a licensed realtor. That's a first red flag. I promise you, if you were a real estate agent who were doing property on your own behalf, no matter what entity you put it in, you had best disclose to the party you're dealing with that you are licensed. Always disclose that. Always yes. disclose that. So that doesn't happen. The contract is written on the broker's form, but she declares there are no representation. That, that is, neither she, the buyer, nor the seller are represented by an agent, and she thinks that covers it. Well, we'll come back to that a little bit later. But that's the way this thing begins. So there are a couple other little things about the contract that aren't done too well. Even though the seller's carrying back a note, she fails to say anything in the contract about other than the amount of the note. We don't talk about the interest rate, how it's paid, how it's amortized, or anything like that. Oops. Whoops, yeah, that's a whoops, because that means the only way that that note is going to get written is on a verbal instruction from her, the buyer, to the title company where, she, where she opened escrow to tell them how to draw the note. If it's perfect, good. What if it's not? What if she has selective amnesia, etc.? Okay. So we're off and rolling, we think. Escrow is open. The seller has moved out. What they don't know is that the buyer has moved in. So that's the first hiccup. And suddenly the buyer says, you know, I'm not satisfied with the terms. I'm not ready to close this. Wait a minute. You have possession of my property. She's done not. some work. She's painted oh, the place. Oh, she moved in. She painted the place. Yeah, she's absolutely expecting to inhabit it. Uh, but we now have, and she won't return phone calls. So we now have an impasse. So the seller decides he wants his property back. He's an old ex-sheriff, as it turns out. He goes and gets a copy of the deed showing he's the owner takes it to the sheriff's office and says, I want you to put this woman out. The sheriff accompanies him. They go up to the property. Sheriff pounds on the door. Nobody answers. 
So the owner goes and climbs through a window, and lo and behold... As you, as you do, yeah. As you do, lo and behold, here comes this woman, this agent, this non-agent buyer, running out of the bedroom screaming, etc. He bypasses her, opens the door, the sheriff comes in, and tells them they both have to leave. I'm not here to interpret the law. I'm right. just telling you guys, uh, you're both going to move out. So they both move out, except she makes a big circle and moves right back in. In the meantime, come Monday, he, the seller, is served with a temporary restraining order. Nice. Because he crawled through the window of the property, and she feels violated, threatened, and attacked. So he can't go on his own property or anywhere near her. So where are we? Well, what we don't know in the meantime, looking at the escrow, is that the buyer never brought in a dime. No deposit money didn't bring in the down payment, so they're clearly not prepared to close. She's complaining about the terms. What do we mean by that? The terms are who's paying for what with regard to inspections, etc. Closing costs. Yep. And sadly, and this is sad, but it happens, sadly, she decides to alter the contract. So she unilaterally makes a change without consulting the seller and without getting initials and signatures. Folks, that's a no-no. Those of you who are agents know that. The rest of you should know that. So what have we got? We got a transaction that looked really, really good, except the buyer has moved along. The seller has tried to throw her out. Now we have a dead impasse. Well, part of the reason it looked really good is, is and I don't think we mentioned this in this particular case, this is not a robust real estate market. When you say up in the mountains, it's one of those very sparsely kind of uh, inhabited places and average time on the market, 9, 10, 12 months. So the idea of having a buyer right there ready to close We'll move heaven and earth to make that happen. You bet. That's, that's a great solution. Oh, and she's not going to charge us a commission? We're going to save the commission? Well, yeah, and they kind of made a little sweetheart deal because you're representing me, Ms. Agent, and taking care of us. Let's reduce the price $5,000, and the seller's carrying back a note at a very, very low, below-market interest rate. Anyhow, it still could have gone together, and the buyer had the ability to make it happen, except the buyer just didn't perform. She didn't put her money in escrow. She moved in, took possession, wouldn't give it up. So now, what do you have to do? Well, the seller has to go and get an attorney, because she's not moving. We're not going anywhere with this. Calls to her broker are unanswered. By the way, she kind of implied that she was the broker, and that she owned the local company, and come to find out she was none of those. So a little homework on the website showed that this gal was not a broker at all. But she held herself out to be a property manager. Guess what? There's another red flag. In almost every state in the union, it's necessary to be a licensed broker to do property management. Not every state, but most states. So this gal has done a few things that we wouldn't call exemplary in the agent part of the game. So what do they do? They have to hire an attorney. The cost? $15,000 to get an attorney to get back your property that somebody else has possession of and you haven't collected a dime for. You know, Bob, that's really only 10000 because they saved the 5000 So, <laughs> Oh, that's right. I forgot about that Fifteen part. grand for a retainer. Okay. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's fairly serious. So now what do you do? It's at an impasse. One of the sellers is ill and ends up in the hospital with migraines uh, because this is extremely stressful. So what's, the, what's the, the problem here and what's the story and what's the moral? The interesting part, what I'm really getting at, and the reason I said beware the very friendly agent, 
you've got to do your due diligence when you pick a service provider of any kind, and that's especially true if it's a real estate agent. There was information available if you hadn't just taken it at face value, first of all, and the signs are there. This person won't call you back. This person's broker won't call you back. This person didn't put any money in escrow. That's oh, an easy yeah. thing to check. That's a pretty strong sign. In fact, the title company who was performing the escrow refused to close it, said, we're canceling this. We're not doing this. Go get somebody else. Well, I'm just, I'm just sitting here listening to this. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, as soon as the agent puts you in a position where they're telling you you're unrepresented, and if you're not a, if you're not super experienced, as soon as I hear the words "I'm unrepresented," then I need to be represented. I need to go find somebody to represent me. And if this person isn't functioning as my agent, and it doesn't even sound like you'd want to hire them as your agent, but but when you're clearly being told you're not being represented, get representation. Absolutely. So this person hires this attorney for fifteen grand. The attorney writes letters, gives the person plenty of time. It takes quite a while, but eventually, the person moves out. Now, that was a lucky outcome to the extent that this could have gone on for who knows. However, if we just look at the $15,000 fee that the attorney, the real estate attorney charged, imagine what would have happened if we had taken that contract to that real estate attorney to look at it to begin with. He'd have certainly found the, the problems with it. And if we had done little homework with the agent... This is an ounce of prevention case. When we come back, more Halloween horror stories from the Real Estate Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the Real Estate Guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, Halloween Horror Story Edition. We're talking about some things that went wrong with properties and some of the lessons that you can learn. We are privileged to know a whole bunch of great property managers, and we uh, asked a few of them for some case studies. And my goodness, we got some great stuff. And it's too bad you can't see the pictures of this, but this, our next case study is called Drip, Drip, Drip. Here's the story. We have a, a long-term tenant, been in the property eight, nine years, something like that, move out of a single-family house. Property manager goes in, and, and along with the owner, decides, you know, I mean, it's kind of the wear and tear, and they've been there a long time. Let's do a rehab. It's a good market for renters. If we spend a little money, you know, it needs to be done anyway, and let's let's do it. So they went in, and not only did they paint and stuff, but they put in all new flooring, including hardwood floors. They painted everywhere, did some touch-up on the walls, a new kitchen counter, redid the cabinets. Not, not I mean, they left the existing cabinets, painted them, and 
and put in a new kitchen counter, changed all the toilets and toilet seats out, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they, meanwhile, so so in the case study, had a lot of pictures and stuff of all that happening. Um, the property manager right away gets a great tenant, well-qualified family tenant, wants to sign a one-year lease, would be open to a two-year lease. Sounds like the right tenant, willing to pay the price asked, if not a little bit more. So this is perfect. So the uh, contractor completes this whole rehab on the 17th of the month. The tenant's not scheduled to move until the first of the next month. So the property manager very cleverly says to the tenant, hey, um, it's ready early. If you'd like to move early, you're welcome to move in early. We'll just prorate the rent for the month. And the tenant said, well, you know, we're still not packed, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the contractor locks the house, all the work's done, uh, submits an invoice. The uh, same afternoon, the property manager sends out one of their reps to just check on the work. Everything looks great, signs off, and uh, locks up the house. Well, on the 29th, a couple days before the tenant's set to move in, no one's now been in the house for 10 days or so, the property manager sends out one of his maintenance guys again to just take a quick check and make sure everything's cool. And unfortunately, everything's not cool. He looks in, and the hardwood floor has completely buckled. Like there's this just bubble, and we have pictures of it. It's just... It's obvious there's a problem. So he goes in and he looks, and not only is it the hardwood floor, but some of the new tile that they've put in, the grout has also, something is oozing up through the grout. And so this is a major problem. Two days before the tenant, the tenant's stuff is already in a truck uh, headed into town. So what happens? Well, there was a tiny, tiny little drip, tiny little drip. In fact, the property manager told us this uh, story in person and said, we finally, we got in and we figured it out and we did this. And he goes, I come over and I, I see it and there's the, and I turn the, the thing just a, just a quarter of a turn and the water stops. But this little drip, which if the tenant had moved in the next day, they probably would have found what wet on the, instead just went and went and went for 12 days. Wow. And before you knew it, the whole thing had to be redone. Just a ton of damage. So, ouch, what's the solution? Call the insurance company and call the tenant. So they submitted it uh, to insurance. It was covered. And uh, the real reason I put this horror story in here is because that's the kind of stuff that happens to everybody. This property manager, is their practice is to ha- tell every owner of single-family homes that they manage up front that it's a good idea to consider loss of rents insurance. And this owner followed that advice, had loss of rents insurance. So this tenant could not move in. The property manager found another house for the tenant, thankfully. And this house proceeded to now go through a second rehab, but it was worse because now they had to pull everything out. They had to pull some dry rot, uh, dry, drywall out that had been wet. And now it was even a bigger job. It was all covered by the insurance company in the, the day, but it went about three months without anybody in the house, unfortunately, covered by loss of rents insurance. That's a great thing to talk about, and I tell you what, doesn't matter what kind of property it is, if you're a landlord, you need to consider loss of rents insurance because the real problem is, through no fault of your own, if you have a problem that isn't covered, you now have no income coming in to make the payments with. You could actually go into default on the property and you can't do a darn thing about it. you got to have loss of rents insurance. Yeah, absolutely, and a good team. I mean, this wasn't about placing the blame necessarily, right? Who do you blame? They, this is a, a property management company with a contractor they've used for years. Good working relationship. The contractor, you know, felt bad about it. The property manager felt bad about it. The owner, you know, everybody. But, you know, stuff happens in real estate. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, it's probably a, a better than average neighborhood because, you know, I know a lot of the neighborhoods we've been in, you don't leave a house empty for 12 days. <laughs> or it'll really be empty. <laughs> or, or it's occupied by non-tenants. Yeah. I have uh, another Halloween Horror Story that's kind of along those lines, but we don't have time for it today. Our next Halloween Horror Story is called A Bang in the Night. 
this is an interesting story about a tenant moving in uh, to an apartment building and about one o'clock in the morning uh, gets uh, here's this noise and here's this banging sound out in the hallway so the tenant isn't sure doesn't live in the greatest neighborhood looks through the peephole in the door and sees someone breaking in to the apartment across the hallway banging on the door and just until it breaks open is what this this person perceives tries to find his cell phone can't find his cell phone he's just moved in he's like well, what kind of a place am i in watches through the people as soon as the door closes he tiptoes out and runs downstairs to the manager knocks the manager's door one in the morning my goodness i think we're being robbed call the police this is what happened and the guy listens to the story and says Oh, no, no, no. That's just the tenant across from you. She's got so much junk in her apartment, she has to bang the door open just to get in. (laughs) Well, sure enough, he discovers that living across the street for 20 years is someone that property managers affectionately call a hoarder. Wow. This person, this lady who lives here, apparently brings in groceries and things and never takes anything out. In her house is 20 years of stuff. And what we have also for the live event was pictures of this, which you can imagine are not really nice. It's pretty ugly stuff. So here's the situation. This guy now is like, this is terrible. So he starts noticing, I mean, how people live in their own apartment, whatever, but he starts noticing the smell. It's just not good. He's saying to the manager, that's, that's a fire hazard. So the, the, the story goes on and it's a long story, but basically he calls everybody. The manager gets the name of the landlord, calls the management company, calls the city, calls the health department, calls the fire department. Finally is referred to a nonprofit organization, believe it or not, in this city, big city, I can't tell you the name, New York. And what happens is there's an agency that specializes in helping hoarders get over their problem. Anyway, short story, finally gets her out, moves her out. It only takes six years. Oh, my goodness. Six years. And during the move-out process is when he snapped all the pictures. And it's just absolutely scary. So what are the lessons here? The lessons here are, as a landlord, you ought to be at least as interested in your tenant's well-being as the tenant across the hallway, right? And it's a good idea, we talked about this in the club the other night, to make inspections, right? One of the case studies that we did in the live meeting was one where no one had been inside a house for five years. And the property managers in the room were going, um, no, every year at least, some of us six months, we go and we do inspections of the property. If you have an apartment building, depending on tenant landlord law, probably at least once a year you need to take a look. Yeah, you really do because you're going to get some surprises. If you don't, they're not always going to be happy surprises. They're going to be Halloween hiccups. Well, we've had lots of hiccups today and lots of horror stories, and there's lots more. We've run out of time, but don't let the ugliness and the terror scare you away from real estate investing. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to build wealth over time, and just know that stuff is going to happen, and sometimes it does. So thanks to all the investors involved in today's Halloween Horror Stories, and if we didn't get to your story, uh, sorry about that. Hey, in a few weeks, we're going to do an Ask the Guys show, so we're looking for your questions. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, simply go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and look at the tab that says Ask the Guys and fire away. Way. Big thanks to our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to Chathan, our engineer, for bringing it to you. And the next week on the Real Estate Guys show, we're going to talk about the multifamily market with our good friend and best-selling author, Ken McElroy. Until then, go out and make some equity happen and have a spectacular Halloween. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Texas Investor Homes, discover high-yield, low-risk, double-digit cash on cash returns through interim construction funding. 
hassle-free cash flow investing, creating cash flow opportunities for real estate investors with brand new single family homes in Dallas, Texas. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.